We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Good morning and welcome to Connecting Vets Daily for Tuesday, November 6th, 2018. Are you going to vote today? Well, I certainly hope you are. Regardless of who you're voting for, get out there and make your voice heard either right now or after listening to the fantastic show that we have coming up for you today. Speaking of that show, coming up today, we're going to talk to Chris Islieb of the World War I Centennial Commission and Betsy Anderson of Bells of Peace. Now, World War I Centennial Commission, of course, is celebrating 100 years since the end of hostilities in World War One, The U.S. was involved essentially for the last year of the Great War, and this is the 100th anniversary of that day, the 11th hour of the 11th month of the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. There you go. That's when the armistice was signed, which would eventually turn into Veterans Day. So we're going to talk to Chris about the importance of this year's Veterans Day specifically. And then Betsy's going to talk to us about Bells of Peace, a wonderful app that's going to let you toll bells at that time, at the 11th hour on the 11th day of the 11th month. And uh, it's a pretty cool idea and a new digital way for them to uh, really to do something nice, do something kind of community oriented. So we're going to talk to both of them about that coming up in our next segment. But right now, let's get to the headlines. Mark Wahlberg, a.k.a. Marky Mark. He doesn't like it if you call him that, but, you know, I'm probably not going to have any personal interaction with him, so I'm not particularly worried about it. He's in the news right now, and it's not because of his latest movie, whatever movie that is. I don't know, probably some Transformers nonsense, but Mark Wahlberg is doing something pretty cool in his native Boston. Here's what happened up there. Yet another example of a memorial to veterans being vandalized. I don't know what it is that gets in people's heads that makes them think that's a good idea. And it's particularly concerning that we're seeing uh, what seems to be more of these incidents around Veterans Day. Although I wonder if that's the case. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But in Dorchester, which is actually the neighborhood in Boston, I believe, where Wahlberg grew up, this Veterans Vietnam War Memorial was uh, damaged. And the landscaping around it was torn up last week. So here's what happened. Massachusetts State Police said bricks had been thrown at the memorial stone. An American flag was cut and a Massachusetts flag was ripped, taken a flagpole and left with trash on it. And a POW MIA flag was also apparently stolen. Wahlberg tweeted out his support for a GoFundMe page that's been set up to help pay for repairs to the Dorchester Vietnam Memorial, which includes the name of local residents who died in the conflict. No arrests up to this point in this vandalism up in Massachusetts, but a couple of things. One, this is the kind of GoFundMe that I can get behind. (laughs) We've talked about this before where you just never know exactly who it is that's asking for that money or what they're going to do with it. It's kind of hard to figure out uh, what they're going to to use that money for, where it goes. There have been countless instances of things that were uh, were promised with GoFundMe, you know, people trying to develop video games or a new company and they get a bunch of donations and then that's it. The money's gone. You never really hear back from them. But in this case, this is uh, pretty much set in stone. 
literally. This is a Vietnam War memorial in Massachusetts. It's been vandalized, and they have set up a GoFundMe page for it. Again, with these crowdfunding things, there's uh, a good way to do your research and figure it out. But this one, uh, it's certainly a good one. And it's nice to see a big-time celebrity in it. He certainly is. He's near the top of the A-list actors out there. How many blockbusters has he been in? Think about it. And, of course, he's in Boogie Nights, one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, Mark Wahlberg getting involved in that, and he's someone that's been very supportive of the veteran community in general. Of course, you know, he was in Lone Survivor. He's been in quite a few other military-themed movies, uh, including the Transformers movies that have featured him, where he plays a, uh, I think he plays someone who's affiliated with the military, if not a member themselves. Uh, He has been very supportive of the military and veteran community, and now something as simple as a tweet. And that's really all it is. It's just a simple tweet. He's tweeting out GoFundMe, uh, the link to the GoFundMe account. I'd like to see more people who claim to be supportive of veterans and have as large an audience as he does do just at least that. Little that. That's all it takes. Hit that retweet button on Twitter or the share button on Facebook or whatever the case may be. Uh, You know, you see some of it, certainly, and there are people who are doing it that you don't notice every day. But uh, this is a great example of, one, it's good publicity for him, although I'm sure that's not what he was intending with this. But it's also just a, a nice way for him to bring attention to something that other people might not know about. I mean, for example, we work here at ConnectingVets.com in veteran news and everything. If Mark Wahlberg hadn't done this, there's a chance we might not have found out about the vandalism to this memorial. We probably would have because we do scour the news wires for all of that veteran news out there. But Mark Wahlberg made sure that we did, made sure that you did, and has made sure that probably, I would guess, thousands of people are going to donate who otherwise wouldn't have known about it. It's a pretty darn cool thing. The question that I was thinking of when I first saw this story after we reported yesterday on the uh, vandalism to a uh, veteran's display as well, someone tearing up uh, flags and running over crosses with their vehicle, driving intentionally through a lawn set up with veterans, uh, this veteran memorial display. Is this happening more often around Veterans Day? That would be terrifying, really. Well, maybe not terrifying. That's probably not the right word. That would be incredibly upsetting if... In the days leading up to Veterans Day, these vandals specifically sought out veterans' memorials and landmarks to vandalize. But then I started asking myself the question, is it happening more or is it just reported on more because it is getting close to Veterans Day? Let's be honest. The mainstream media doesn't focus too much on veterans' issues unless there's a reason for it. And right now, what's the next holiday? Veterans Day. It's coming up this week. We're seeing a bunch of reports on vandalism to veterans' memorials and things like that. Uh, I don't know if it's happening more in the lead-up to Veterans Day. I certainly hope not, because that would mean that there was some sort of malicious intent aimed at veterans and not just you know some dumb kids doing dumb things, which in many cases, that's what vandalism is all about. Um, this one, I don't know. I mean, we do know that there was in Long Island earlier this year, it did make national news when a memorial to a United States Navy SEAL who gave his life was vandalized. And the kid didn't seem to have any sort of political or veteran motivation for it. He was just kind of a jerk kid. There's a lot of them out there. (laughs) A lot of jerk adults too. Uh, I hope that this is not an increase in these sorts of events because Veterans Day is coming up. But really, I don't know if there's any way to tell. 
It's one of those questions that the 24-hour news cycle brings up for you. It makes it difficult to figure out, well, is this happening more or are we just more aware of it because the cameras are always on? Because uh, the internet has made it easy for me to get news from Boston, to get news from Green Bay, Wisconsin, to get news from Butte, Montana. It, it's just that's the way it is with the internet, so it's hard to tell if there is an increase or if there isn't. If there is, I'm sure we'll see some stories on that and we'll get some interesting news uh, coming out of that one as well. But I have a feeling that it's because of the holiday leading up to it that the media is covering these things more, not that they're happening more. That would be my guess, and that would certainly also be my hope. Got a great story up on ConnectingVets.com right now. Well, it's not great, but it's pretty crazy. Absolutely crazy, according to Matt Sainsing. Story's titled, Five Absolutely Crazy Developments from VA's Latest Inspector General Report. So each month they provide insights into uh, some unsavory aspects. That's how we'll put it. That unfortunately make their way into providing care for veterans. And this September report is one that just kind of stuck out, man. They're always kind of wacky. It's a massive healthcare system, massive healthcare and veteran care system. There's a lot going on at the VA. It's a huge organization. Anytime you have a huge organization, there are going to be crazy things happening. There's something like 300 to 400,000 employees at the VA. Think of a city of 300 to 400,000 people and the crazy things that happen with a population that big. That's essentially what you're talking about with the VA. But here are those top five. First up, we've got a pill-popping nurse down in Gainesville, Florida. Why does that not surprise me? She's been sentenced to 12 months probation after an investigation concluded the nurse manager took oxycodone and hydromorphone, opioids of course, for personal use as frequently as four times per shift while on duty. The employee admitted to stealing the medication and has resigned, again, sentenced to 12 months probation. Although, when I say this, you know, that's that look at me. Look at me being awful. I see nurse and I say she. I don't know, male, female. I have absolutely no idea. Yes, the majority of nurses are female, but in this report, doesn't give you the gender of the person, just gives you the stolen opioids and the 12 months of probation. Uh, thankfully, the Gainesville VA Medical Center down there does not have that person on staff anymore. Moving up to uh, the Mid-Atlantic region, just uh, a little bit northeast of us, in Wilmington, Delaware. This September, a veteran was arrested for making threats to an employee of the Wilmington, Delaware VA Medical Center. This unidentified veteran, hopefully not to them, hopefully it's just unidentified in the report when you hear what this guy did, gained access to the facility's executive area with an axe and two knives in tow. Yes, this person meant to do business. Or to chop up some firewood. Not sure. Guessing it wasn't the firewood one, but you never know. The individual then, quote, became violent following a medical assessment threatening VA personnel. So this is a crazy person, and the VA has to deal with this. I mean, if you've ever been to a VA uh, more than a handful of times, you've probably seen something happen there that was just someone losing their mind. I had to go to the VA. I had an ear infection. I went in for an appointment, and then I hear an alarm go off, and I hear some running, and it turned out that a patient who I think had some psychiatric issues apparently assaulted someone and then tried to make a break for it. Yeah, it was not a good situation. These things happen. This one, I mean, as as much as we'll laugh about someone walking in with an axe and two knives to the VA executive area after being not happy with his medical assessment, um, it's a serious issue, man. I mean, an axe, one swing of an axe, 
That's that's one seriously injured individual, if not dead. So this is, uh, you know, it's a serious thing. But again, in these stories, you look at it and you just kind of, you have to laugh. If you didn't laugh, you'd cry and nobody wants to be doing that. A tale of two recordings. So here we go with a veteran who had previously pled guilty to wire fraud and sentenced to three years in prison has now been ordered to pay back more than $350,000 to the VA. Why? Well, this defendant, who the report notes is also in a street gang, because that's something you want to do, received a monthly pension from the VA for the loss of use of both of his legs, telling a VA investigator he had not been able to walk for over a decade. It's a sad story. This poor gang member, who, by the way, had made it 10 years being in a gang, it's a lot longer than most people do, but it's, it's a very sad story. You know, he is a veteran. He lost the use of both of his legs. At least that's what he told the VA investigator. You see, a video surveillance video showed up later on that showed him walking with no apparent difficulty. That's a long con that you're going to have to really work hard at. I mean, you can't go anywhere these days without there being surveillance cameras or someone uh, taking a Facebook video or posting something on Instagram. I mean, this this poor gang member who is claiming to be uh, <laughs> paralyzed, which is just, I mean, it's ridiculous at face value. He couldn't even go to a party and dance because what if someone posted that video up? You'd see him in the background. Oh, <laughs> slumping back down into his wheelchair like, oh, he's just temporarily able to dance. He never said he couldn't dance. He just said he couldn't walk. Two entirely different things. And then here's one that's probably the least surprising thing on this list. A tech glitch resulted in massive overpayments. So the VA lost $101.4 million in payments for the Veterans Choice Program. We've talked about that a ton over the last year. That's a program that allows vets to receive care outside of the VA system while having the VA pick up the check. So they basically lost $101 million. Let that sink in. $101.4 million. Let's not leave off that $400,000 because I could live off of $400,000 for uh, several years. <laughs> uh, the overpayments went to two third-party administrators, HealthNet Federal Services and TriWest Healthcare Alliance Corporation. For administrative services, included pay- including paying claims for health care providers. The Veterans Health Administration's Office of Community Care implanted new rules in 2016, but according to the report... The process did not have effective internal controls in place to detect improper claims. And so $101.4 million, gone. That's it. That's it. Not getting it back. It's just gone. $101 million plus. And then this one, I mean, I guess if you're someone who works hard, you'd probably think, you know what? I'd like if I had to do a little bit less. If you're out there breaking your back and doctors tend to do a lot of work. It's busy work. It's Sometimes very rewarding, I would imagine. Also sometimes kind of thankless, where people aren't really, you know, they're kind of expecting you to do what you do and not really giving you the big thank you. Well, the VA responded to a tip on a primary care provider at the Barra, Kentucky, community-based outpatient clinic, saying that this person was falsifying patients' documents. Well, that's not good for a doctor. This doctor logged blood pressure readings of 128 over 78 for nearly each of their 1,370 patient encounters. A little bit of a red flag there. 
just as much as uh, you know, if you caught the guy dancing uh, who was supposed to be <laughs> paralyzed and in a wheelchair. This doctor saw 1,370 patients, and all of them had the exact same blood pressure reading. Now, I've never been to Barra, Kentucky, or Beera, Kentucky. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. But if everybody in that area has the same blood pressure, well, there's a documentary I want to watch. Let's get on it, Netflix. <laughs> Maybe this person wasn't just trying to scam. But the IG report from the VA, well, they say that this is not just some weird coincidence where everybody has the same blood pressure. Here's the quote from the IG report. The falsification of blood pressure readings was most likely due to the provider's attempt to reduce workload. <laughs> you have to follow up if there's a higher reading. If someone's blood pressure is a little high, you need to check on them as a doctor. You need to make sure that they're okay. But if you say that everybody's got just average blood pressure, 128 over 78, done. Don't have to do anything else. I'm sure, well, I'm not sure, but I would imagine that this doctor would say something like, you know, well, I wanted to move on to the important stuff and high blood pressure and hypertension wasn't the issue. Still, <laughs> how dumb can a doctor be? They've got to go through school forever. I had to go through college for four years and that felt like forever. Doctors are doing like, what, 25, 30 years of college before they're able to practice and then they have to go and do their uh, residency and interning and all that crazy stuff. You would think that a medical doctor would be an intelligent person. But this dummy used the exact same blood pressure readings, didn't even vary it, just left them all the same, thinking, I guess nobody's ever going to check on that, right? Well, somebody did. There was a tip, probably from somebody that works there, and this one at the Barra, Kentucky Community-Based Outpatient Clinic uh, has basically gotten into a little bit of trouble over this one. The inadequate treatment or lying on official medical documents put certain patients at risk for adverse clinical outcomes, including death. It's a serious issue, and these are all serious issues, really. Whether it's $101 million just disappearing, whether it's uh, a gang member who is also a veteran claiming to have been paralyzed and collecting uh, $350,000 in monthly pension, a guy going into an office with an axe, a nurse stealing opioids for personal use. This is all serious stuff, and it is headline grabbing you know it's going to grab your attention when you see things like that and it should absolutely each one of these cases is worthy of uh, attention from each and every one of us the one thing that i would ask you to keep in mind when dealing with anything at the va is the massive scale of the organization again we're talking like four hundred thousand employees or something like that that's a mid-sized that's a big city in the United States, the city that I come from originally, Stanford, Connecticut, how you doing out there? Uh, you're talking like 150,000 people, I think, or something like that. So this would be over twice the size of this large city. You have crazy things happen whenever you get a group of people that's large enough. And this 400,000 plus employees at the VA, you're going to get some wacky things out there. This is one month. But you know what? If you go to the police blotter for a month of a city that's the same size as the VA, that 400,000-plus employees, you're going to find some pretty crazy stuff on there. Now, you're going to find someone with an axe busting into an executive's office and threatening to kill them? Eh, probably not, but you never know. You also never know what you're going to have to pay for as a veteran. 
Occasionally, on days like Veterans Day, you get your free pancakes or waffles or maybe a discount when you're shopping someplace. I don't ever particularly seek out those things, but, you know, if they're available, they're available, and you can take advantage of them. One thing that you would think would be available to us is when there's a National Veterans Memorial and Museum, those of us who served in uniform would be allowed to go to it eh, maybe for free or at a very significant discount. Well, out in Columbus, Ohio, the new National Veterans Memorial and Museum in Ohio is now not going to charge veterans for admission, and that's fantastic. Do you know why they're not going to charge veterans for, for admission? It's because they planned to, and public outrage was so great that they actually reversed their decision. So they were going to give veterans a discount. Adult admission, $17. Veterans would pay $12. And people kind of lost their uh, lost their stuff over it. They were saying, well, why on earth are you charging the people who the museum is about, who the museum is based on? That's like charging an NBA Hall of Famer for entrance to the NBA Hall of Fame. I don't think they do that. Of course, veterans, uh, there are a lot more of us, and those types of museums tend to attract us more. So I can understand where they were coming from in wanting to be able to have enough money to keep this thing operational and keep it running. But public opinion, man, it's a difficult thing. The museum's president and CEO, he knows about this stuff because he's a retired lieutenant general from the United States Army named Michael Ferreter, saying in a statement that the museum was committed to providing free entry to all American military veterans. Uh, that changed again recently. That wasn't the initial plan. And it's not free to operate these things. So I totally understand their desire to have the veterans paying full price or even discounted price because it was originally adult admission 17, veterans pay 12. That would be good enough for me. Public opinion out in Ohio, apparently not good enough for them. The keynote address when the museum opened to the public just uh, last Wednesday, was delivered by former Secretary of State and General in the United States Army, Colin Powell, giving that keynote address. This attraction cost $82 million to build and was the vision of Ohio native John Glenn, of course, military hero, astronaut, and United States Senator. He did a lot of things during his life. We've got one last story we're going to touch on today, and this kind of uh, builds on one that we talked about yesterday where former guest and friend of the show, Dan Crenshaw, was mocked by Saturday Night Live for uh, having an eye patch and looking like what Pete Davidson described as the hitman from a porno film. Okay, just not a great joke. And then apparently Davidson ad-libbed the part afterwards where he goes, yeah, I know, he lost his eye in the war or whatever, uh, you know, just trying to be too cool for the room. It's kind of what... Pete Davidson does, uh, you know, his father was killed in September 11th. Some people saying that gave him a bit of a pass. Uh, whatever your thoughts are on that. There's another story regarding MNBC. I was going to say MMNBC, NBC, and it's actually specifically MSNBC. And I hadn't heard about this, but then in an article about the Dan Crenshaw incident, I saw a link to this and found out, oh, Apparently, NBC had another veteran issue take place fairly recently, and the headline is MSNBC reporter forced to apologize for refusing to move from handicapped parking for disabled veteran trying to vote. So MSNBC sent one of their uh, reporters out there. Her name is Mariana Atencio, uh, and she was doing a live on-scene report. Unfortunately, the only place, and this was down in uh, in Houston, Texas, I believe, yep, which is actually the area where Dan Crenshaw is running for Congress, 
they only found one good spot. I guess the lighting was right or who knows what the reason was. They set up for their live hit, probably because it had the most area, in the lone handicapped parking space that can fit a van. Well, that's what Air Force veteran, sorry, James Barry needs. He is a disabled veteran and pulled up and asked them to move. They refused. You know, hey, the journalist is going to get their live shot, but not a good look and not a good look to be coming out. Uh, the news about this after the Dan Crenshaw thing makes national news. Now you've got the MSNBC thing, which I think might pick up a little bit of steam there, too. Not as much. It came to light originally with a Facebook post by Barry saying this is a different kind of voter suppression. He has multiple sclerosis, needs to park there, went to vote and found this waiting for us. Only van accessible spot and they're filming in it. We asked them to move, pointed out how it was wrong, then went to vote because it takes time to load up. But came out and still there, not even packing up, still getting ready for their shot. Don't use handicapped parking spaces. Here's my public service announcement for the day to journalists, drivers, anyone who does not have a handicapped parking placard, don't use handicapped spaces for anything. All right. You're listening to Connecting Vets Daily here on Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Coming up, we're going to talk to our friend Chris Islieb from the World War I Centennial Commission. They've been doing an incredible amount, an incredible uh, type of work over the last year, celebrating the 100th anniversary of the end of World War I, which is coming up on this Veterans Day. We're going to talk to him about the importance of this year's Veterans Day, that historical significance. Also going to talk to Betsy Anderson of Bells for Peace, a new program that's going to allow you to take part in ringing the bells. That's right, on Veterans Day. 11th hour, 11th day, 11th month, and you are going to get to take part in that through this free app. So, really good show coming up still. Stick around. We'll be back right after this. Connecting Bets every day is the slogan. ConnectingBets.com, the website, is where we're doing it, but we're also on social media. We are at Connecting Bets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. One little click on your mouse or tap on your phone, and you will be that much closer to living your best veteran life. So go ahead and give us a follow at Connecting Vets on all of the major social media platforms. Our next guests are here to talk to us about a very important celebration that's coming up. It is, of course, the celebration of Veterans Day. And this year, there's a specific importance to it as it marks 100 years since the armistice that ended World War I. And here to talk about that with us today are Chris Islieb, the Director of Public Affairs for the World War I Centennial Commission, and Betsy Anderson, the Program Coordinator for Bells of Peace. Chris, Betsy, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having us, Eric. Yeah, thanks, Eric. Chris, let's start off by talking about the importance of this specific Veterans Day. 2018, 100 years since the armistice that ended World War I. Tell us why you think this, this day is of some historic importance to not just the centennial of World War I, but really the history of Veterans Day as a whole. Sure. Well, we believe um, uh, that um, no veterans should be forgotten and no war should be forgotten. Uh, Congress created our commission to um, to try and tell the story of World War One and specifically the American veterans and what they did in World War One. World War One was monstrous, huge. It was um, 4.7 million Americans suited up to go fight in that war. Two million of them went over to deploy to the fight, whether it be mostly in Belgium and France, but also in Italy, also in um, uh, Russia, 
also are in uh, Navy ports around the world. The, um, uh, the, the effects that World War I had on America and on the world itself touch us to this day. I mean, uh, at the start of this war, the, uh, the world was uh, farms and it was horses and it was guys wearing feathers in their helmet charging in and, you know, with big, huge poles, you know, with, with pointy sticks. Um, but by the end of it, I mean, we had telephones, we had cars, we had trains, we had ships, we had airplanes, we had radios, we had uh, a thousand different other uh, things that t- continue to touch our lives every day. Further, uh, America's role uh, in the world really was created from World War I. We became a world power at that time. And it was on, uh, it, it was on the backs of uh, these, these American veterans and the veterans of other, uh, the other uh, Allied forces as well that really brought these changes uh, to the world at horrific human cost. I mean, we had um, more casualties. We, we lost more American men and women in uh, 18 months of our involvement in the war um, than we lost in the Vietnam War and Korean War combined. Mm. Uh, just to give you an idea, it was um, uh, it was it was just an awful uh, way to change the world. But they did, and uh, and to this day. Um, you know, we, we try to remember, we try to tell the stories and we try to give these stories to our younger generations so they can learn, uh, and inherit these legacies and these lessons. I think when people think of world war one, they think of trench warfare. That's really the first mental image that comes up for most, including myself, but there was so much more to world war one than that. I mean, this was the first use of mechanized armor, the first use of aircraft, of course, fighter planes, bombers, forward observers. This was truly the advent of modern warfare and kind of shaped how warfare would be fought for at the next hundred years, isn't it? Yeah, very true. We, um, are right now in the centennial period uh, of uh, the ending of uh, what was uh, considered the Moose-Argonne Offensive, uh, which started um, back in September of uh, uh, 1918. And it went for 47 days right up until the armistice. And uh, in this uh, huge offensive, there were 1. million Americans in a battle. It's to this day, larger than any battle in U.S. military history, larger than anything in World War II. Mm. It, it involved over 1,000 airplanes. And we don't think of you know, fleets of airplanes over the skies dropping bombs or, or you know, providing support uh, in World War I. It also involved uh, over 600 tanks. Entire tank battalions were just going over the top and, uh, and creating this, uh, this huge push uh, to, to break free of this um, this trench works that went, ran for 400 miles. It ran all the way from the Atlantic Ocean all the way to the Swiss Alps, if you can get your head around that. And mm-hmm. the remains of it are still there. And, of course, it led to uh, some of the biggest names in American military history really cut their teeth in World War One. You're talking about Patton, who, of course, would go on to great fame in World War II as a general, MacArthur, World War II and Korea for him. I mean, this was uh, a cornerstone, touchstone moment for the United States as a world power, as you mentioned, where we kind of made our grand entrance onto the world stage. And a big part of that entrance came starting with the armistice and then everything afterwards, the negotiations of what would happen after World War I with the United States president at the time playing a huge role in the decisions that were made uh, of, of how things would be basically settled. What do you think people should know most about that period, the period around the armistice that perhaps they don't? I would say that this, the stories of the individual uh, 
soldiers and the individual Marines and the individual sailors and the individual airmen um, are the things that are going to carry. Um, you know, people, th- those are the things that are most memorable, I think, uh, to the folks that I've talked to. And those are the personal legacies that when, I, when we're in public and we talk to people and say my grandfather served, my, my great-granduncle was killed, um, these are the stories that we take with us. And I think that those veterans are no different than today's. They suffered the same, uh, you know, the, the infantryman's job, the tools changed, but really the life, you know, living in the mud and all that, or your feet cold and you're, you know, you, you don't know what you're going to eat, you know, uh, that was the same exact thing for these people. And, uh, and when they came back at the end of the war, they faced the same exact challenges. The men and the women that saw so much and did so much for us, um, faced the same exact challenges hundred as a hundred years later. That's right, Chris. And I think that the individual stories are very, very important. In addition, we can look at the strategic level because um, the decisions that were made by President Wilson and by General Pershing at the time to have American troops under American command is a principle that holds in our coalition warfare to this day. Yeah. I mean, it, there was so much that developed out of World War One uh, for the United States individually. And then, of course, worldwide, geopolitically, Prior to World War One, it was essentially kings and emperors who were running Europe, and World War One saw a lot of those empires and kingdoms finally come to an end, and different governments come into play. Um, when it comes to World War One, oftentimes overshadowed by World War Two, Chris. Of course, over the last year plus, you've been working with the World War One Centennial Commission. Have you seen an increase in the the knowledge and the general public awareness of? the sacrifices that were made by those Americans who went to fight in World War One. You know, I got to say, I'm thrilled. Uh, the other day we were talking about this in our office and we Googled uh, forgotten World War One, forgotten war, that term, and uh, in the Google News. And we, we didn't see any articles that have been recently, uh, recently posted with that, which we're thrilled. And we also took a look at our social media data, you know, to, to see how many articles are out there, see how many posts are out there. And thankfully, um, especially in the last year, uh, in the last two years here in America, um, there's been a big recognition. There's been a big increase in commemorative events and uh, preservation of local landmarks and local histories. There, there have been a number of different exhibits, a number of different events. We've got a bunch of them listed because uh, we, we track such things and we try to promote such things uh, on our staff. On our website, you can find we've got a calendar of events. It's got you know, 150, 200 things per day right now. Um, world nationwide and actually worldwide uh, at www.number1cc.org uh, and we also have other programs that we've got we've got uh, you know uh, uh, site locators from World War One uh, memorials and uh, monuments we've got um, a number of different other programs and uh, Betsy is here of course to talk about uh, our biggest program of this year Bells of Peace, and that's who we're talking to right now, Betsy Anderson, Program Coordinator for Bells of Peace, as well as Chris Islieb, Director of Public Affairs for the World War I Centennial Commission. Uh, Betsy, tell us a little bit about the Bells of Peace program and where the idea for it came from. It's a really cool thing that you guys are doing. Bells of Peace is a sort of organic grassroots kind of program The original, I don't think you can really attribute the original idea. It's such a great idea that everybody kind of had it at once. But the Society of the Honor Guard of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldiers 
has been trying to promote bells, bell tolling on November 11th for the past few years. They are our partner in this um, effort to reach out across the nation. But everywhere we go, everywhere I go, people are instantly charmed and instantly engaged by the idea of being able to toll bells in commemoration of our veterans. It's an interesting program. Of course, there's an app that people can download that will allow them to ring bells at 11 a.m. on the 11th day of the 11th month, Armistice Day, Veterans Day, as we all know it now. It is new technology allowing us to essentially do something that's kind of fallen by the wayside that used to be uh, a very small-town American thing where you would have the church bells tolling on November 11th at 11 a.m. Do you find that kind of dichotomy interesting, the fact that this modern technology is something that's kind of bringing back this uh, old-timey, for lack of a better term, tradition? I find it really interesting and amazing and totally positive Because one of the things I learned when I first started to reach out about Bells of Peace is that many places don't have bells anymore. Even here in Washington, D.C., some of the important bells have been damaged and not uh, not repaired. In, uh, In the case of the National Presbyterian Church and the National Methodist Church, when we had an earthquake several years ago, they have not yet been able to repair their bells. So it's just been brilliant to be able to call them and say, look, we have this app. You can download the bell of your choice. You can, in, you can include it in a public address system. You can use technology to have this bell be heard. And then other people have said, oh, I'm sorry, I won't be around. I'm traveling overseas. And it's so much fun to say, oh, yes, but you can take your app with you and you can join in. We have also um, been able to use the app to engage a lot more people. There are, are at least six or 7,000 subscribers to that app. Wow. And we're able to communicate with them and let them know where events might be in their area. So the app does more than just provide you the opportunity to ring the bells. It's actually got some information on there for users as well. It does. And people can upload their own information. So they can upload pictures of themselves tolling their bells. They can upload their proclamations. They can upload their event information. They can upload photos and videos on the app. Of course, the traditional bell ringing, 21 rings, just like the 21-gun salute. Uh, How does the app actually work? Do you just hit it once, or do you hit it once each time to ring the bells? Again, the app is brilliant. You can set it, and it will ring automatically. And that means that the bell toll will come at the right number of seconds for the interval. We ask for a five-second interval so that the bell has time to be heard all the way and kind of die out before the next one begins. Then if you choose to, you can put it on manual mode and then you can just tap it as many times as you need. For example, we are recommending 21 uh, tolls based on the 21 gun salute, as you mentioned. But I've heard from several communities that say, well, we had 25 World War I deaths and so we're going to toll our bell 25 times in commemoration. The important thing is for everyone to participate in the commemoration. And it's 116,516 American lives that were given 
by our military during World War One. Over two hundred thousand wounded. Um, do you feel like tolling these bells is like the least we can do to really honor the sacrifices that was made that were made by uh, those young men and women who served over there in our military? I feel like the tolling of the bells is a national recognition. My own great uncle was killed in the Battle of the Mozargan that Chris described earlier. And I have always felt that that's an unfinished story in our family's history. So being able to toll the bells and have the entire nation recognize the significance of this commemoration is very important to me personally. And I think a lot of people see it that way. We have a number of really important bells who have enlisted themselves. We will be tolling at the National Cathedral during the sacred service that we are doing there on November 11th, also here in Washington, D.C., the old post office bell will be tolling on Pennsylvania Avenue. The Capitol Taft Carillon will be tolling on Capitol Hill. In Virginia, Christ Church of Alexandria, a very historic church, will be tolling. Um, in Philadelphia, I'm happy to announce that the Liberty Bell will be the lead honorary bell. The Liberty Bell does not toll because of a crack and so it's damaged, it cannot toll. But at Independence Hall, the Centennial Bell in the Tower will be tolling on November 11th. In Boston, the Old North Church will be, will be tolling a full peal, which is a three-hour change-ringing event. In Charleston, South Carolina, the Grace Church Cathedral will be tolling. In Little Rock, Arkansas, the Trinity Cathedral will be tolling. And in California, we have two very important bells, the Presidio at San Francisco, which was General Pershing's home before um, it burned in 1915, I believe it was, when he lost his wife and children, and um, the Church of Our Savior in San Gabriel, California, which was the home church of the Patton family, and many of the Pattons are buried there. As someone who has a personal connection to World War One, as you said, your great uncle fought at the Meuse Argonne, gave his life there. Is it does it feel good to see people kind of going out of their way this year, one hundred years afterwards, even though there are no World War One veterans left among us? I remember being a kid and there were a few around when I was a kid. Now there are none left. But of course, people are still doing a lot to honor those soldiers, sailors, Marines that went over there. Of course, as as the song goes, over there uh, to defend America and defend what was right and was good. As someone with a personal connection, how does it feel to see this kind of uh, outward pouring of uh, expression to honor those? It's very rewarding, and it's it's very encouraging that Americans are taking the time to remember their history. As Chris pointed out, there are so many changes that took place that can be dated to World War I, as well as everyone's personal story. On our website, we have a place where people can write the personal stories of their relatives who served in World War I, and they can upload pictures. All of those stories will be permanently archived so that future generations can research them. And this is the most rewarding thing to me. Will the Bells of Peace be able to be rung 2019 Veterans Day? Is this just for one year that this app is going to work, or is it going to actually be available for next year as well? We're talking about that now, Eric. I think that the Bells of Peace will carry on. I know that the Society of the Honor Guard of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, that 
that consists of everybody who's ever served at Arlington Cemetery in that capacity. They're very anxious to carry it on, especially through 2021 when the first unknown soldier was brought back from France and entombed in Arlington. Mm. When it comes to that remembrance, Chris, how important do you think it is that we continue to remember those who gave so much of themselves, those who gave their lives, those who were wounded, those who served over there and came back with those invisible wounds of war? There are none of them left with us today. Yet still, do you think it's important to remember what they did for us? Oh, most definitely. I, I think that every single person in your audience uh, agrees that um, – we want to live in a country where our veterans are remembered. We want to live in a country where what our veterans do matters. And I think that this is one of those expressions that deep down in our hearts um, as Americans and as uh, members of our community and members of our culture, um, this matters to us. And I'm, it, it's deeply pleasing, as, um, as Betsy had mentioned. But it's also deeply important. Um, because uh, it informs us that the legacies of all our veterans uh, and what they did um, needs to be remembered. It cannot be forgotten because otherwise, you know, they're painful lessons to relearn. Um, and similarly there, the inheritance that we need to, you know, you know appreciate and, and embrace, and then we also need to pass that inheritance on to our future generations uh, because the future generations are going to face challenges that are similar uh, to the ones we face, the ones that uh, our parents faced, the ones that our grandparents faced, and the ones that uh, the World War I era uh, people faced as well. Of course, Veterans Day, Sunday, November 11th, that's the actual day of the holiday, but the World War I Centennial Commission, you guys aren't done. There's actually events coming up after Veterans Day that the Centennial Commission will continue to honor those who, who served during World War I. Can you tell us about some of the upcoming events that are happening post-Veterans Day? Yeah, we've actually got a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, again, there's a full calendar of events that uh, we maintain that's searchable by region. Uh, it's a nationwide, international actually. Uh, and our website, again, is www.1cc.org. And, uh, and you can go to the events calendar there and, and search it for your own area. Um, here in Washington, D.C., we have a ton of stuff. Um, and each day from the, uh, the 8th of November through the 12th uh, at the site of our new World War I Memorial in Pershing Park across the street from the Willard Hotel next door to the White House, um, we will be doing colors in the morning and we'll be doing taps in the evening. Um, we will also have uh, a number of different events uh, related to um, uh, Veterans Day that will happen uh, not only at Pershing Park, uh, which we call the first look, uh, which will have um, uh, kind of a focus on the memorial that we are creating uh, you know, at the, to, to the, the new National World War I Memorial in D.C. Um, but we also have um, partner organizations that are doing musical performances at the Kennedy Center, multiple of those. Uh, we've also got uh, multiple events uh, after um, the sacred service that's at the National Cathedral. Uh, there's a wreath laying at um, uh, the Navy Memorial, who's one of our commemorative partners. Um, they've got exhibits after exhibits at the Library of Congress, the Smithsonian Postal Museum, uh, the Smithsonian um, uh, National Museum of the African American History and Culture. Um, the Museum of Natural History has World War I uh, exhibit on the flu. Um, the the uh, Air and Space has a, an incredible uh, museum exhibit that they uh, created with the 
American History Museum, which is a uh, focuses on a the combat artists of World War One, but also b uh, there's an incredible photographer named Jeff Gusky who we work with, uh, who's taken uh, who's got a beautiful photo exhibit of underground graffiti uh, that was left behind in some of the underground bunkers and then in the underground uh, caves in the uh, in the combat regions of World War One. When it comes to the overarching grand scheme of things with Veterans Day, what role do you think the World War I veterans play in the, in the overall celebration of Veterans Day for America? I think that they need um, to be recognized as the very first really big uh, group after the Civil War uh, to modernize uh, what we consider VSOs, uh, the Veterans Service Organizations. Um, the Civil War brought us the Grand Armory of the Republic, uh, not long after there were um, uh, the, the VFW was started after the uh, Spanish-American War, um, but the uh, after World War One there were just so many veterans. As I said, 4.7 million Americans suited up that um, uh, that it created from there not only the American Legion, which was literally created in France uh, with combat veterans, um, but it also created the Department of Veteran Affairs. Uh, which prior was, uh, um, you know, uh, it was an effort that was never uh, solidified, and it led to actual riots here in Washington, D.C. during the 1920s and 30s, which was uh, called the Bonus Marchers. And uh, and if you haven't heard of those, uh, I suggest you folks, you know, take a look into that history because that was the painful way uh, our Department of Veteran Affairs uh, modern version uh, was created. And, of course, when it comes to recognizing those veterans who fought 100 years ago from this Veterans Day that the war came to an end in Europe, World War One, one way you can do so is through Bells of Peace. And we've been speaking with Betsy Anderson, the program coordinator for Bells of Peace, as well as Chris Islieb, Director of Public Affairs for the World War One Centennial Commission. Betsy, if people are interested in downloading the app, if they want to ring those bells on Veterans Day, how do they go about doing that? Where can they go to find it? Oh, it's very easy, Eric. Just go to www.thenumber1cc.org slash bells. There you can register to toll your bells and find links to the App Store and Google Play where you can download the free app. Well, I hope everybody goes out and does that because, hey, these uh, those men and women who served the United States in Europe and around the world during World War I may no longer be with us, but everything that they did, as Chris just pointed out, from essentially uh, creating the VA, uh, creating the VSOs, they had a massive influence on the modern United States of America, recognizing them as something each and every one of us should do on this Veterans Day. Chris and Betsy, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Eric, thank you for inviting us. A huge thanks, Eric. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.